morning, family. Everybody doing good today? Doing all right? All right? Summer's here. Man, is it here. It hit like a freight train. It is hot out there. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. You can't sing, but you look good this morning. Can't clap either. Don't have any rhythm. That's all right. God will help you. <laughs> all right. I want to get right in the Word. How many of you guys appreciate the Word of God? Come on now. I hope you do. hope you do. It'll help you. promise you that. We're going to uh, look at the book of Acts today. Uh, so New Testament and our one-year reading Bible plans, uh, Acts chapter 4. And, uh, and if, you, if you like action, you're going to like this book because the book of Acts is exactly what it says it is. It's a book of action. It has everything to do with God building his church, specifically Jesus building his church. One person at a time, one city at a time. It's an awesome, awesome thing to see the miracles that are happening around here. Jesus is always about building his church. Amen? It actually says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Can I get an amen on that? Come on now. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Scripture is full of uh, references to building things. Building things in your life. Uh, Jesus actually talked about and gave an analogy of, of what it's like to build something, whether you're building it on a good foundation or a bad foundation. In Luke chapter 6, verse 47 Jesus speaks, says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts. Everybody say acts. It's important that you have the action behind it. On them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house, they could not shake it because it was, had been built well. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation or on the sand. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. How many guys like the beach? How many guys like beach people in here? Come some beach people. The real beach people aren't here. They're at the beach. Uh, so <laughs> praying for them. I'm sure they're real Christians in their heart. But... Uh, <laughs> It always just, you know, if you're like me, it's like people post all the pictures of the vacation. Everybody like, just, I just love you. Have a great trip. So happy for you. Glad you get to do that. No, but um, I, I love the beach, except I hate salt water and sand. So I don't really like the beach that much. Uh, I don't know. I'm a lake person. That's who I, I'm a lake person. I like the lake in heaven. In heaven, there will be oceans, but they will be freshwater oceans with perfect waves that crash up on grassy shores. That's, that, to me, is like, that would be awesome. Um, so I don't like sand. Sand, to me, is a little bit like glitter. I hate glitter. I call it demon dust because once it gets in somewhere, it's real hard to get it out of there. Come on now. And uh, it's the same thing with sand. But uh, the one thing I noticed about sand is it moves. It's always shifting. It doesn't matter what you build on it. It doesn't matter how long you work on it. It doesn't take much, and it's going to crumble. It's not going to stay the way that you kept it. It's at the sand dunes, which is kind of like the Colorado version of the beach, okay? Uh, that's where we would go if we wanted to be around a lot of sand. It's just awesome. These huge mountains of sand. I think the tallest one's almost 800 feet tall now. And the wind just shapes these things. God put it right there next to the Sangre de Cristos, and uh, it's a really cool place. But I was there with some students one time, and Climbing around, and I thought, man, I want to. I've never been buried, buried up to my neck in sand. So there's like a lot of sand here, so it should be pretty easy to do. So I found this spot. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, there's already this little indention right here in this dune. And I'm like, I get in that, it's going to be really easy to, for me to get buried because it's kind of already a little bit of a, of a deep spot there. And so I get in there. It didn't take long at all. I was buried up to my neck. He's like, oh, this is great. Take some pictures and all that kind of stuff. And then we started trying to undig me. 
And the sand, because of this perfect location that I had picked, every time we would try to move sand out, more sand would come back in on me. And so for a while, we're like, ah, this is funny. And then it turned into like nervous laughter, like, ah. you know, and I had, I had my chacos on. So my chacos were like holding me. I had like five guys came up, tried to lift me out. I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose my legs. Don't pull my legs off. And uh, it took about two hours and about 30 people. Like we were getting ready to call like search and rescue, like call in the National Guard. This is bad because we could not get the sand to stay back. I think some of you are in a spot in your life where because of what you've built your life around, that's exactly what it's like. You have gotten trapped in the sand. You've gotten trapped because the sand, what you've built around your life is not a firm foundation. It's shifting sand, and it's going to constantly come in on you, and it's going to take some work to get out of there, but I do believe that God wants to help us get out of it. This is the one thing I do know. All of us are building something in our life. Every person in here is building something. Even the laziest person in here, you're building something. The question is, what are you building and what are you building it on? Look, you're going to face some storms in your life. Every single one of us are going to face storms. Whether you want to or not, there's going to come a storm in your life. The one thing you get to choose is what do you build your house on so that when the storm comes, that decides what's going to happen to your life. You get to pick what you've built on in your life. Because everything that you do how you love your family, what drives you and your ambitions with your career, all these things, what you say, the decisions that you make, there's a reason, there's a motive behind it. And Jesus says that is your foundation. Whatever is motivating you in your life, whatever is driving you, that is your foundation. What is it? What is it consist of? Because when Jesus is your foundation, then you build something that is based on something bigger. But if it's not, if he's not, If you build it on what you want, what you love, what you want to go for, then we're going to build on something that isn't going to last. And it's going to be blown away if a storm comes. Sand is fun, but it's always going to shift. So I'd like to ask you this question this morning, and that is this. What are you building on? What are you building your life around? What are the motives that are driving you right now? What's the foundation of your life that's driving you? I want to talk about Peter this morning. Peter's life at Acts chapter 4. Now, Peter, he was one of these act first, think later type guys, okay? I can relate to that. I've been there. I've done a little bit of that. I know some of you can too because I follow you on social media. And, uh, and so, but Peter, he was always just doing these things, just creating awkward moments and all this kind of stuff. He was really bold. He was really bold. He had a, a kind of false sense of confidence even. He would do these things that just drive you crazy. And so he would do things that you would you would want like a do-over moment with. All of us know what that's like. You have those, man, I wish, this, I, wish I had a do-over moment right now. Like, like 30 seconds later, uh, two seconds later, like, oh, I really wish I could take that back. I really wish I wouldn't have said that. I really wish I wouldn't have done that. If you have kids, kids provide lots and lots of do-over moments in your life. Anybody ever have a kid stripped down naked in a public place? Just me? Okay, a few of us. Okay, great. Praise God. Um, ever have a kid pull a fire alarm in a very public building? Okay, all right. Okay. Anybody ever gone up to a non-pregnant woman and asked her when she's due? Just me? Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. That was really fun. So there's lots of these do-over type moments. And Peter, man, he was like the master of this, needing these do-over moments. There's some 
some familiar times in Peter's life that a lot of us can relate to. I want to talk about a lesser known time when Peter had this incredible comeback. This incredible comeback in his life. A comeback simply means to win or succeed after being close to defeat or failure. Maybe some of you feel that you're right there. Or maybe the failure feels like it's already happened. We've seen some great comeback stories even in our lifetime. Some of these, Michael Jordan, look, that was a comeback story because when he was young and playing basketball, he was told by a coach that he'd never amount to anything. I'm not talking about like when he retired and then came back. That wasn't a good comeback. But, but Steve Jobs, look, Steve Jobs was fired by his own company, and he came back. Robert Downey Jr., I mean, that dude had a major comeback. He's Iron Man now. I mean, what, what better comeback could you have after that? Johnny Cash took a while, but he had a great comeback at the end. Abraham Lincoln. Did you know Abraham Lincoln lost six elections before he was finally elected president? Lost six elections. Imagine how different history would be. But time two, three, four, he would have just quit. Imagine if he had given up on his God-given gifting and purpose when he had faced failure. If he hadn't continued on trusting that that's what he was supposed to do. Comeback stories leave us with such a great sense of hope in our lives. That no matter what we're facing, it's not over yet. And that would be the thing that I'd want you to get in your heart. Look, it is not over yet. Jesus is still on the throne. I don't care what you've gone through, what you feel like you've done wrong. It is not over yet. And some of you, you need to write that in bold letters on your notes and read it to yourself every day until faith is released in your heart to believe it and live it. Because it's not over yet. Yet, with God, it's never over. You can always have a chance for a comeback. Just to set the scene, Peter and John are walking into Jerusalem. They're heading towards the temple. It's during a time when a lot of people are praying. And there is a man there, a crippled man, and he is begging for money. So Peter looks straight at him and he says, look, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. The Bible says he reached down, grabbed the man's hand, and lifted him. And as he was lifting him, his ankles, his legs, everything strengthened. And he stood up on his own feet. And he began to praise and jump and dance before the Lord. He had a little praise break, you know. He's just shaking what his mama gave him. And he didn't care what anybody else around him thought. Side note, some of you, man, you've never really experienced real freedom. But maybe it's because you forgot that at one point you were crippled. And your only perspective was watching life pass you by. And then Jesus came along and he healed you and he set you free. When that happens, I want to tell you, you go crazy for Jesus like you go crazy for the Razorbacks. When you realize that, you experience true freedom. It's a great place to be. Jesus is in this place where, or Peter was in this place where, he was finally walking in some confidence. But as these people saw this, they were amazed at this, and they started trying to give Peter the credit, Peter and John the credit, but, G, or, but Peter sets them straight right away. Why do you look at us as if our own power or goodness, we made by this, our own power or goodness, we made this man walk? It is the same name of Jesus which has strengthened this man in front of you. It says, on that day, 5,000 men, not including women and children, 5,000 men were saved. 
amazing. Could you imagine? 5,000 men, their families, I I don't know, maybe 10,000 people all of a sudden, like, getting saved, giving their lives, surrendering their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders didn't like it. And they were threatened. So what do they do? They throw P&J in jail. It's amazing to me how overly religious people can spoil anything. Like God can be moving and all of a sudden they just get insecure. They don't like it. So they got to step in and mess the whole thing up. They criminalize this, this real miracle and question Peter. It says this in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. All who were of highly priestly descent. Woo-hoo. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, this is interesting because the day before, Peter made it totally clear exactly who did this. Like, did you not get the memo? Like, how this whole thing started was in the name of Jesus. But they're questioning, and this is the reason why I think they're questioning. They knew who Peter was. They knew at one point Peter folded. They knew at one time when he was confronted by a servant girl, Peter just said, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know this man. So they're hoping that in front of all these witnesses that he'll fold again. Maybe if we get enough these priestly, religious people around him, the pressure of all that, and Peter will deny it again, and we can get back on track having the power and the authority that we want to have over these people. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Peter, he's in a different place. When the first storm hit, Peter crumbled like sand. Suddenly, he's he's on a different foundation. This is what he says. This is so good. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, not his own ability, not his own spirit, but the Spirit of God, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, As to how this man had been made well, let it be known to all of you once again and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men that by which we must be saved. And walked out like I the tiger playing in the background. Rocky like. I'm sure John is like. How did it change so much? How did Peter, going from this place of being intimidated by just a couple of people that had no authority, to standing in front of the people that had all the authority, and declaring exactly who Jesus was? This is his great comeback. What were the three things that God, that I can see, there's probably more, that Jesus gave to Peter for the comeback? First of all, truth. Truth changed the way that Peter saw himself. Truth changed the way that Peter saw himself. Peter fell a long ways. I mean, think about it. He fell from a place of being one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his top disciples, one of the, the, number, the, the three disciples that Jesus spent the most amount of time investing in and, and speaking to. Going from that place 
to a place of total intimidation in the courtyard of the chief priest's house, denying that he even knew Jesus, denying him three times. It says that, he, that after the third time of denying, he caught the eyes of Jesus. He caught the eyes of his friend, his Lord, as he denied him. He fell a long ways. And I'm sure, I know he was messed up about it. You ever fallen before? You ever physically fallen before? I mean, it's, it's bad, right? A little embarrassing? Some of you, you just love watching people fall. It's like the funniest thing ever to you. But it's, it's embarrassing. It's really, really funny, though, when they fall, and then they try to just make it look like nothing happened, like just covered up. And you're in the gym, they trip, fall down on the ground, they just start doing push-ups. Well, I was going to be down here anyway. I was just going to be doing this for a little bit. So, This is what I do know about falling. When tall, skinny people fall, it's even more dramatic. It's like Gumby all over the place. So when I fall, like, six foot three, you notice when a tall person falls. Back a few years ago, I was skiing, and, man, there was this board park, which I should never have been in to start with, but I was in this board park, and there was this jump that I noticed. I was riding on the ski lift. The ski lift went right over this jump, and all day long, I was, like, building up the courage. Like, man, I'm going to hit that jump. I'm going to do this thing. So finally, at, towards the end of the day, I'm like, okay, it's time. I'm going to do this. And I go down there, and I'm in the board park. And I'm feeling, man. I'm carving it up. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it, everything's going great. And I see this jump ahead of me, and I'm like, okay, it's time. It's time. So I, I just prepare myself. I mean, I get my legs ready and everything. And as I go up the jump, I realize I do not have enough speed. And the jump, you have the jump and then you have this table flat ground, and then a downslope. And you're supposed to get enough speed where you can jump over the table and hit the downslope to make your landing. But I got to the top of that, and I was like, oh, no. I went straight up in the air and then came down with so much force. It felt like everything but my underwear exploded off of my body. Like skis, poles, goggles. I mean, just everywhere. It's what we refer to in the ski world as a yard sale because I had spread all my belongings out for everyone to see them. I hit so hard on my hind parts that my rear dug so far into this compact snow, my knees were up against my chest. I could not get out. I am there struggling and waddling like a turtle on its back. As chair after chair after chair after chair passed over me, clapping, (laughs) celebrating my demise. When you fall like that, I'll tell you what, it's hard to get back on the slope. Because it felt like literally everyone on the mountain knew that I had fallen, and a good amount of them did. It was, I wanted to just pack things. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going back to the, I'm going to go back to the hotel, lock my door, close all the blinds, lay in the dark in fetal position. Falling is difficult. The most difficult thing about falling is the aftermath, you know? Because you're thinking like, what, what did I break? Did I break anything? Most importantly, who saw? Everybody saw. Everybody saw. But what you do when you fall 
makes all the difference because I believe that when you fall in life, the enemy is going to come. He's going to begin to lie to you immediately. You see? You see? Look what you did. You, you can never recover from this. You can never recover from this. You might as well give up. You might as well just quit. And the only thing to combat those lies is truth. It's truth. And it isn't going to be a truth that you can muster up with enough intellect. It's got to be the truth of the word of God. The Bible says that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is the living word of God. And the living word of God had already planted truth in Peter. And it says that when the word of God is planted, it doesn't come back void. It doesn't come back empty. It doesn't come back without producing fruit. And so this word was put inside of Peter early, early on. At one point, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Simon, you are now Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I would imagine that the rest of the disciples were rolling their eyes. Like Jesus. The last person that we need to feel more confident about themselves is Peter. Like, please do not encourage him. I'm sure they're like, man, oh, he is Jesus. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Do you really think he knows what he's doing? I'm sure Peter's like, yeah, the rock. What up? The whole church built on me. See, at that point, at that point, Peter wasn't the rock. He wasn't. Not even close. He was insecure. But Jesus was speaking to who he was going to be. See, Jesus loves these awesome setups. He loves these setups where he can prove the enemy wrong before the enemy's ever even done anything. Because he knows. He tells Peter this before Peter denied him. He tells him it before. You, you are the rock. And that truth set in Peter's heart, in spite of his situation and circumstance and even his own faults, the truth prevailed. And Peter got back to this place where he was a rock again because of the truth of the Word of God. The other thing that Jesus gave Peter was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit transformed his confidence. He had confidence, but the his confidence needed some work because it wasn't real confidence. It was confidence in his own ability, not confidence in who God was. There's a few places where Jesus talks about his Holy Spirit. At one point, he comes to his guys and he says, look, it's better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. I'm sure this. I was like, you crazy. Why would it ever be better for you to go? You're Jesus. We're with you. How could it ever be better for you to go? He's trying to convince him, but if I can't go, your God, your comfort, your conscience, your companion and your power can't come. Yeah, I've been with you, but I want to be in you. And that's what happened. Now, Peter's not just with Jesus. Jesus is in him, working inside of his life. Peter said it this way, the greatest mystery ever known that has been hidden for generations is this, Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
might be the most important ingredient to Peter's comeback. Not just having God with him, but having him in him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Something inside of you is going to change. Everything's going to change inside of you. It's going to mean different things, but for, for Peter, what it meant was he was no longer this insecure bull in a china shop, but he was going to have confidence, power, and wisdom. He was going to be led by the Spirit of God and the things he'd do and the things that he would say. What God wants more than anything is for you to be able to say at one point or another in your life, I'm no longer a blank. What label are you under? What label are you under? Because God wants you to be able to say by his spirit, I'm no longer. But for me, because of the spirit of God, he is a person, not an it. Because of who he is, I'm no longer this insecure, learning disorder, socially inept kid from a broken home. I can be a mighty man of God by the Spirit of God. Not because of me, not because of my ability. It actually has a lot more to do with my inability. By his Spirit. By his Spirit. Look how the story ends. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. See, it wasn't the miracle that amazed them. It wasn't all these other things. It was that they were free and confident in who God had created them to be. That only comes by the help of the Holy Spirit. The last thing is this. Jesus gave Peter a purpose bigger than himself. The biggest issue that people have that I meet with typically is just that they're not living their life for what they were created to do. They can have a lot of great things going on. But at the end of the day, if they're not living and spending the time that they have on a bigger picture, they're going to be miserable. They're going to fall into sin. They're going to have issues in relationships with other people. It's going to happen. Look, we're all given some time. Here's some of the ways that we spend the time. We spend about 17 years total sleeping. The average lifespan, 17 years sleeping. 17 years total working. Some of you more like five, we're praying for you. But six months of our life at Walmart. God help us all. Five months at traffic lights. Look, we are only given so many hours in every day question is not whether or not you have to do those things. The question is, are you doing them with purpose? Are you doing them with a bigger picture in mind? Because at the end of the day, you're going to build something that is temporary, or you're going to build something that is eternal. Just a few days ago, we were at some friend's house, and they had a pool, and, and there's a water slide there, and my oldest, London, had gotten to the top of the slide, and she said that she was going to go down this water slide, and she hadn't done that yet, so that was a big deal for her. So she gets to the top, and I just start telling her, like, baby, don't think too long about it. Don't think about it. Just go. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. But she did. She thought too long about it, convinced herself, talked herself out of it, came walking back down the ladder. And at first, honestly, I was just going to be like, ah, it's not that big a deal. She'll, she'll do it when she's ready. It's going to. But I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, James, you need to use this right now. You need to go use this as a coaching moment. So I went over there, and I pulled her aside, and I said, London, look, 
if you never go down that side, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to be disappointed in you. I promise. But you cannot make decisions based in fear. Because here's the thing, baby. Whether or not you go down the slide is not a big deal. But if you make this decision in fear, I think there's a chance you might make other decisions based in fear. And that is not who God created you to be. God did not created you to be someone that is controlled by fear. And so I just want you to know that, that I love you. But I really think that if you can go to the top of this slide, if you can go down this slide, that's you looking at your fear and saying, you're never going to control me. This is a battle. And the enemy wants to convince you to not measure up to your full potential, to settle, to be afraid. But God has called you to be more than an overcomer. When you're ready, I know you'll go. And I just left it. But about two minutes later, I'm in the pool playing with my other kids. All of a sudden, she's out the top. Daddy, I'm going. And sure enough, she just... And she hit the water. She came out of the water. She had the biggest smile on her face. She swam back to the wall as quick as she could. But, but how many of you know, she got, she got up there and did that again and again and again. Some of you, you're at the top of your water slide. What are you going to build your foundation on? Are you going to build your foundation on a purpose that is eternal and bigger than you? something that is temporary your fear of man your insecurity I don't know what it is but I know that God wants you to live for something bigger I came across this great story of someone who built something great but it wasn't on the rock and as he came to the end of his life he realized that his name was Napoleon Bonaparte and as he was finishing out the end of his life in exile on this island He called one of his generals to him. And he asked him this question, who is Jesus Christ to you? The general wouldn't answer. And so Napoleon went on to talk about his exploits, the things that he has done in his life and what all he had conquered and comparing himself to the other great conquerors, Alexander the Great, Caesar. And as he gets to the end, he concludes with this, behold the destiny near at hand of him who has been called the great Napoleon. What a distance between my deep misery and the eternal reign of Christ, which is proclaimed, loved, and adored, and which is extending all over the earth. Nations pass away, thrones crumble, but the church remains. Christ speaks, and at once generations become his by closer ties than those of blood. He lights up the flame of love, which consumes self-love prevails over every other love. This phenomenon is unexplainable. It is altogether beyond the scope of a man's power. This is it. I have often thought of it, which proves to me quite convincingly the divinity of Jesus Christ. You see, this builder of an empire, this great empire, he realized, man, there's there's only one true builder. There's only one true builder, and he's the only, it's the only empire that's still standing, expanding, and inviting people to be a part of it, still setting people free across the globe today. It is the body of Christ. The builder is Jesus Christ. And he wants to build something in your life. 
It's time for your comeback. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. I just pray that this truth is found in open hearts, that every person would be encouraged, Lord. And wherever they're at, their understanding of your truth, your spirit, and their purpose, I pray that you would breathe new life into it in Jesus' name, that they would step into it not because of their own ability, not because they're great enough or strong enough, but they would just step into it because you're good enough and you're strong enough. I thank you for that. You might be here today and his truth and his, his spirit, your purpose in him is, is formed because you've never had a relationship with him. You've never given your life to him. Or maybe you have at one point or another, but you've gotten off track and you need to rededicate. You need to come back to him this morning. He's here, fullness of his mercy and grace, ready to receive you. If you're ready to reestablish him as the Lord of your life and give him complete control, he'll come and save you. If you're here this morning, you're ready to make that decision. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, please, right now in boldness, put your hand up. And I want to pray with you. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it back down. Ready to rededicate your life, give your life to God, not it. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus this morning. I feel the Spirit of God speaking to me. I know that He's telling me to do this. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Father God, I just thank you for those couple of hands. I thank you, God, that you're you're meeting with them right where they're at. If you if you're saying this prayer, just say it simple like this. Just say, God, here's my life confess that I've sinned. I know that I need a Savior. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I ask that you'll come in and be my Lord. I give you control. I want to live for you, not for myself. Help me to understand how to do that. Lead me by the truth of your word, the power of your spirit. Help me to be connected to a bigger picture that is the body of Christ, your kingdom. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. God, that's all of our prayer this morning. That's what we want. And even as we're going about our summer schedule and the different things we do as we're enjoying time off and enjoying time with our family, I pray that you keep your kingdom ever present before us, looking for opportunities, being led by your spirit, full of your truth to build your kingdom. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand this morning if you're thankful for his word.